Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you 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 must be so excited. Listen now. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. This is a podcast from The Bugle. The crack of a branch breaking, the rustle of leaves, silence. From beneath the hedge creeps Mr. Jackson, a benevolent frog with mildly repellent personal habits, bred to satirically embody a class of British country gentlemen who hasn't really existed in generations. His precarious existence at the fringes of the hedgerow social hierarchy teeters on the brink of sustainability. The thin veneer of civility over the rapacious jaws of Mr. Fox is fraying badly. He's gone from trying to seduce Mrs. Titmouse's hot daughter out on a picnic to full-on mail fraud. A mysterious invitation, a free boat ride to an uninhabited island. What kind of idiot would RSVP to something like that? Mr. Fox is starving. It's almost enough for you to feel sorry for Mr. Fox, except for one thing. You remember that night in the chicken coop last full moon when a bunch of prime layers suddenly became the gargle. The Sonic Glossy Magazine to the Bugle's audio newspaper of Visual World. This is The Gargle. I'm your host, Alice Fraser. We bring you all of the news, none of your politics. This week's guest editors are Victoria Angeloni and James Nokise. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Good chat. <laughs> thank you for having us along. Oh, thank you. Uh, it's it's a delight. It's a delight to have you. Before we uh, put our hands creepily on one another's shoulders and begin the slightly sexual massage circle that is this week's top stories, let's have a look at the front cover of the magazine. The front cover this week is Michelle Yeoh punching the head off the Oscar statue in Triumph. Uh, the satirical cartoon this week is libertarian tech lords trying to convince people that the banking industry needs less government than immediately turning around asking for bailouts, just watching the gods of dramatic irony shoot themselves in the foot with Chekhov's gun. Top story this week is uh, science news. This is the breakthrough that uh, we no longer need women, hooray, because eggs for making babies have been made from male mice cells. Now, nice. Yeah. Male mice cells are now, mice can just live in a cool homosocial bro environment 
and um, if they are capable of doing the science that would allow them to extract their own cells and turn them into eggs, of course, um, assuming they develop that ability, which I assume they will, uh, now that they don't have pussy to distract them. Uh, James Nokise, you've seen a mouse. Can you unpack this story for us? Uh, sure. Look, it's um, it's all going on at Harvard Medical School, where uh, what's essentially what's happened is a bunch of bros have got together and they've said enough is enough um as as often happens in these uh, strange uh, sci-fi stories uh there's a japanese scientist professor hayashi katsuhiko sorry to do uh, science at you but no group of bros has ever said enough is enough the definition of a group of bros is that <laughs> enough is never enough well they've look that's the, the the important thing is they've had too many beers and they've gone bro let's Let's get guys pregnant. You know, there's already protesters outside going to find male. Uh, you know, they've had a very interesting idea of um, they can create a baby using someone's sperm and artificially created eggs. Uh, nothing I've seen so far uh, in this, Alice, has told me why. Uh, apart from, <laughs> hey, let's let's do that. Let's. Um, you know, uh, some people uh, are saying it's it's a queer rights science. It's it's going to uh, uh, you know allow um, queer couples to be able to have. But I, I feel like that that was already there. Um, I feel what they've they've ac accidentally done is uh, set up a whole bunch of uh, women who want a second child but have had the first child to look at their guys uh, in in a heterosexual relationship and go, hey, your turn now. <laughs> and uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys. Uh, you know, morally, I feel good about that. Morally, you know, uh, spiritually, I feel good about that. Physically, I'm not sure. Uh, uh, I'm, <laughs> I, you know, I'm, as I read the story to you, I, I feel my testicles just retracting just a little bit inside me. Every paragraph, they just go a little bit. Uh, as they're just going to go into a corner and just rock themselves to sleep later on tonight. To be fair, I don't think I need to explain pregnancy to you right now. But when you do, Alice, I will come to you. I will come to you and say, Alice, what is going on? What are these flushes? Why do I have cravings? And why is that the only thing I know about pregnancy? It is this strange thing where people have gone, oh, well, well we've, we've made men eggs, so we don't need women anymore. And I'm like, where are you, where are you growing those? Where, where are you growing those little babies that you want to grow in? Like some guys like colon? Is that what's going to happen? You're just going to shove it up some guy's ass and hope for the best? I don't think that's a good place to grow a fetus. I'm not an expert, but I'm pretty sure you can't grow a fetus in some guy's ass. Well, I mean, at the moment, as with all these mice studies, uh, it's a very long way from mice to humans. Uh, otherwise, I mean, the number of times we've cured mouse cancer, let's be honest, um, it's sort of extraordinary number of, of cancer-free mice running around there at this point. It's a shame they all have to be euthanized after the study um, for ethical reasons. I don't know. Well, they'd be too powerful, you see. True, because our solution to mice is to give them cancer. I don't. Well, you saw what happened to Lance Armstrong. You can't have in these <laughs> arrogant, cheating mice running about the place. That'd be terrible. They're all blood doping. <laughs> well, I think that the, the, this is an interesting prospect for uh, solving fertility problems and particularly uh, giving same-sex couples the chance to have uh, children that are genetically both of theirs in a way that is important to some people and not important to others. I uh, know secondhand of a, a lesbian commune where they just passed around a bowl of mixed sperm 
So I, I kind of prefer that roll the dice attitude. But for some people, it's more important to have uh, genetic material from, from two parents be part of the child so the child is an expression, uh, importantly, of them, because that's what all children should be. Just you, but more so and better and without the failure. <laughs> so at last, we can, we're one step closer to putting that uh, into, into action in a laboratory. Do you think that mice are up for any of this? Do you think that, like, have we have we figured out the maximum level of cognizancy? Who's asking the mice? <laughs> like, I just feel like we don't necessarily understand how aware animals are, and I feel like we really got to start to understand how aware mice are before I'm comfortable with us just just doing weird shit to them all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it does seem to be all on a bit of a jolly as well. This 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 story is so strange because it does feel like there was just a, like somebody just woke up drunk in a science meeting, and <laughs> or like maybe like a philosophy class, and they were like, you know, which came, which came first, the chicken or the egg? And some absolutely wrecked guy just went mice. <laughs> is that is that the right? That feels like the right answer. Egg fried mice. <laughs> your ads now because you can't be what you can't buy this episode of the podcast is brought to you by the feel-good hit of the summer he's hard-working he loves the american people and he's the only politician in washington who's never told a lie there's just one problem he's a shark coming this summer president jaws democracy just got hungry Did you know that you can make a compass out of a leaf, a magnetised paperclip and some water? Half a glass of water, now with half a compass. <laughs> Find your way home. You see it every time you look in the mirror, but what do you really know about your nose? What's its favourite band? What does it think about current events, if only you had some way to communicate? Now it does, with tissues. Tissues, letters from your nose. <laughs> Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at moonpig.com. Moonpig.com. Now it's time for Startup Banks News. Now I continue my long-running obsession with uh, tech bros and the terrible things that they try to do with money. This is the fall of the Silicon Valley Bank, which has been taking up a lot of a lot of airspace in the last week. Vittorio Angeloni, you once imagined some money. Can you unpack this story for us a little? I love imagining money. I pretend I'm so much wealthier than I am at all times. Every time I book an Uber, I go, I'll probably get paid for something soon. That sounds <laughs> fair. Uh, but basically, uh, Silicon Valley's 
bank, which is like the main one that all these tech bros use and all these venture capitalists to do these. And it's just this tech boom. It happened with the dot-com thing where if you had anything dot-com at one point, it was like, well, that's worth a billion, actually, because, you know, dot-com. And it's all just vague speculation around. That sounds like it's probably worth a lot of money. And it's this bizarre thing where, like, Netflix makes a massive loss every year, but somehow, like, they're the biggest company in the world. And all this stuff and all these venture capitalists, basically, had all this money sitting in this bank. But as we know about banks, uh, they, they they don't actually keep your money. They take it and they go use it on stuff. And when that all fell through, uh, basically everyone tried to take their money out of the bank at the same time. And the bank went, hey, whoa, we weren't, we don't have that. <laughs> yes, and they started to take their money out in the traditional pyramid scheme, which is the richest people first uh, because they heard about it first. And then they told the people uh, beneath them and then they told the, the people yeah. beneath them. And so, of course, it was the small investors who ended up holding the bag and whether they are insured and whether they're getting bailed out or not is currently an issue of great contention. Of course, the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank is a very complicated tale of economically significant financial instruments, which is difficult for lay people to understand. But for basic everyday purposes, just understand that when I say financial instruments, somebody is getting played. Uh, many Silicon Valley thought leaders continuously present Silicon Valley success as a function of a kind of a ruthless Darwinian survival of the fittest meritocratic Thunderdome situation, when in, in fact it mostly seems to be like a hype game gold rush for angel VC money dumps that eventually some VC will come and you'll pitch to them and they'll drop a billion dollars on your head and then you can sell out of your idea before you can figure out whether it actually would have made a difference in society or not. And so I always find myself in these stories... Um, racked for sympathy for a lot of the major players because so much of what they do is, uh, to put it kindly, uh, bullshit. Yeah, it's also boring. Like, their whole job is, like, gambling on, like, whether a business is going to make it. That's uh, But also there's, like, this no-risk thing because the government's always bailed them out, so there's no downside i'm just like yeah right but i put a hundred quid on messi to kiss someone during the world cup and <laughs> who's like who's bailing me out but it's fun because there's no safety net these guys are just boring gamblers that's all it is i mean they... the bank was actually founded after a poker game so you're yes. bang on in 1983 yeah. there was a poker game where a whole bunch of guys were hey we should Basically, a bunch of tech bros, this is my own spin on it, a bunch of tech bros got drunk and were like, oh, why don't we have our own bank? But this is the thing, right? They've abstracted value from the creation of value. So the question is whether a business will make it, not whether a business will make a product that people will buy. It's whether a business will make it in this weird Silicon Valley kind of economy, which is essentially that the bigger fish eat the smaller fish uh, and then money comes out the back end somehow yeah nothing exists this is everything this is such a, it's this is the, the way the whole world works isn't it and every time i'm confronted with it i want to throw me out the window well it was like when when they went to court when uber went to court to argue that uber drivers were not the main product of uber <laughs> yeah. because they didn't want to have to uh, accept that they were employing these people and they therefore needed to you know pay them properly and give them sick leave and things like that yeah so I, I uh, wish them all the best. <laughs> Could I just read out a sentence which I feel encompasses this whole situation? This is from the Los Angeles Times, from the tech columnist. 
And this really, I feel, encapsulates the attitude that we're all getting frustrated with. It goes, as many have pointed out, the bank should have probably seen trouble brewing as the Fed hiked interest rates and made its intention of continuing to do so clear. And the bank should have communicated its strategy to account holders after a crisis seemed imminent, et cetera, et cetera. And I feel the et cetera really nails the whole attitude of Silicon Valley, like, ah, yada, yada, yada. Because you're right, but they're treating the whole thing like it's a computer game, and mm. all they've done is just die in the game, so they're going to restart. Yeah, they're just fine. Well, I mean, I think the, the reason why this has made such big news is because it is kind of dramatic irony. These are the people very much responsible for lobbying against uh, things like Dodd-Frank, regulation of the banks, from the perspective of an Australian where we actually have rules about how people play with our money it looks like the wild west out there and these people have been arguing for more and more freedom to gamble with other people's money on products that don't exist and then the moment that the whole thing collapses which in like these are the reasons that regulations were invented and they kind of walk in and think oh i can i can fix this by making lots of money for myself uh, and then the moment it collapses they turn around and, and put their hand out and ask to be bailed out which i feel is you know ironic yeah they're just little toddlers who eat too many sweets at a birthday party and then throw up and go why'd you let me eat so many sweets that's all it is your review section now as you know each week we asked our guest editors to bring in something to review out of five stars uh what have you brought in for us this week vittorio I've brought in a sketch from SNL where uh, they they did an impression of Brendan Gleeson and Colin Farrell. And I don't know if you know that they did an impression of Brendan Gleeson, former member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. And it went a little something like, and then they kind of pretended they couldn't, you know, understand him. And then he, he left with the Colin Farrell character, who similarly was talking kind of like, you know, like, all right, all right. And then they sent them off and they said, oh, they haven't even started drinking yet, which is really funny because, you know, Colin Farrell has been sober for many years and has struggled with that for a long time. Uh, so I just think it's really good that completely surreal and baseless comedy has returned to the mainstream. <laughs> so five stars for me for that one. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I couldn't understand your wacky accent. <laughs> how, many, how many stars? <laughs> Five, eleven, twenty, and I, and I assume those stars were great. Like it's so <laughs> American ideas about foreign accents are genuinely deranged. Yeah, <laughs> like I shouldn't have to go in and say water with a hard R for someone to hydrate yeah. me. Yeah, I mean England's hardly better. I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to give them that credit either. <laughs> I feel the New Zealander should stay quiet in an accent conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, what have you brought in for us this week? I have bought uh, the moments uh, you realize your 70-year-old Samoan dad has never seen a John Wick film. So oh. basically what happened is my dad, like many Polynesians, massive action fan, and he turned to me over dinner earlier this evening and went, oh, do you know anything about these John Wick films? I said, oh, yeah, dad, they're amazing action films. He went, oh, I thought they were uh, accountant films or, or thrillers or political stuff because he's in a suit yeah. and he's never holding a gun. It's just Keanu in a suit. So my dad has seen this pop up, highly recommended in his action-filled Netflix for months going, I don't want to watch this banking film. And I got... <laughs> 
and what I, he's got a TV in his bedroom now. No one knows why. And so I put it on for him. And then I was just like at the stairs, like I was four years old, just sneaking around the corner, watching this man just just see one of the greatest action dynasties of the modern mm. era unfold in front of him. Like when that dog died, my dad felt that dog die. <laughs> and he's just been sitting there on the edge of his chair with his fist raised, cheering John Wick righteously on for the last <laughs> 90 minutes. So five stars. We've got a very highly ranked review section this week, five stars and five yeah. stars. But I feel like one of those five stars was sarcastic. Yeah, John Wick's not that good. <laughs> <laughs> He's doing an Irish accent the whole film. I really couldn't tell. <laughs> cake news now, and this is the news that uh, British office cake culture has come under fire uh, and Britons are sticking to their cake full guns ahead. My metaphors are so mixed. Like a cake. Uh, James Nukise, you've eaten cake before. Can you unpack this story for us? Big, big cake person, uh, as my fans will know, Alice. Um, <laughs> look, essentially, let's... Let's let's just break it down. They're saying that Britain's cake culture is unhealthy. Uh, it's it's part of the reason that they're in such bad shape physically. Um, they want to see less cake because they're getting obese. But here's the thing: cake is so good, <laughs> and I feel if Britain was still part of Europe, this never would have happened. I think what's happened <laughs> is the British have been stuck with just British cakes for for a couple of years now. And they're just starting to feel the results of only eating British cakes. And, and they just need to, I feel they need to just triple down and get some triple layer jam sponge cake going. Like more cake, I feel, is the answer to this. So, I mean, the concern is that people bring cakes into the office to liven up office culture, which, let's be honest, is incredibly bland and tasteless, like so many Anglo treats, and that this is contributing to a nationwide crisis in, in obesity. Uh, Vittorio, can you speak to this at all? I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting that in a culture that is based largely around a woman saying, let them eat cake has ended up in this situation where people are going, well, maybe don't let them eat cake, actually. Maybe that's the solution. But I just I just love that nobody takes responsibility for anything anymore. There's just, like, really fat people going, well, I mean, but the thing is, Janet brought in a cake, so, I mean, that's why. And it's like, what? So if Janet brought in a bucket of kale smoothies every day, would you be addicted to kale smoothies? No, it's not just because it's there. You don't eat your keyboard just because it's there. <laughs> you make decisions. Take some control of your life, you idiots. Obviously, oh, it's hard in an office, though. <laughs> this is the thing. The office environment is so uh, starved of any kind of uh, excitement or you know, flavor, as it were, genuinely I got like heaps of passive aggressive pressure about having curly hair in the office because it was too exciting uh, and it might make people have a feeling um, when I worked at a law firm I got like comments at least once a day that I should consider straightening my hair because it would make me look uh, more presentable and neater to wow. which I quit and became a comedian but the point is that cakes are the only small kind of acceptable narrow band through which you can sneak any pleasure or luxury into the office environment. So, of course, people overindulge in them because they're just a moment of warmth in an otherwise bleak, soulless future that stretches on. I have a solution. Eternity. I have a solution. Bring cocaine back to offices. <laughs> Absolutely. 
I second that. Look, they've they've banned cocaine, they've banned alcohol, they've banned smoking, and now they're coming for cake. How do they expect people to work under these conditions? I know you can't even harass people anymore. Boo, officers. <laughs> Who the hell is meant to be out there cold calling to see if you need double glazed windows <laughs> without some cake to fall back on and go, it's it's only seven more hours to go. Like, I don't subscribe to the idea that the smaller and more condensed a woman becomes, the more powerful she is. I don't think it's like orange juice. I think people should be whatever size they want to be. I think the problem here uh, is is not so much obesity as it is the fact that office culture is so horrendous that people feel the need for some addictive substance uh, to, to soothe the ever-rising anxiety about their life choices. And so I, I wouldn't course, say sorry, cocaine. I, sorry? I got, I got distracted when you were talking about small, dense women and really tuned out <laughs> for a second. I like my women to be a singularity. Is that Do, do you know any singularity women? I do. I knew, I All know. my singularity ladies, put your hands up. Uh, impossible. <laughs> yes, they don't have hands. In the singularity, there is no up. I blame open offices. I blame open offices for this whole cake fiasco. Back when we didn't have to stare at each other and know what was on our desks, no one cared about cake being brought in. It was a once in a blue moon thing. You get rid of the walls, people have to look into each other's eyes and can't delude themselves that the everyone else is happy and they're the only soulless person in the office. Now you got to bring cake in every week. Well, this is the thing. When you had your own office, you could have your own shame stash and eat it when you wanted. Now there's like weird social pressure not to not have the cake because if you don't have the cake, then you're the Puritan judging everyone else for having the cake. So you have to have some cake, but you have to pretend that you don't want the cake, but that you're just having the cake because, oh, a little bit tempting. And then you have to pretend the cake is nice, which it never is. I lasted a year. I worked in a law firm for a year. They're always bought at the last moment in a panic. And, you know, offices are devolving. They're going away. They've got rid of singular offices. They're getting rid of wars. They're getting rid of dividers. And now they're getting rid of desk space. Now it's open offices and you've got to go get a cubby hole, a little tray you've got in a cubby hole with all your stuff. And then you just set up like they're literally turning office spaces into school tables. And they're also disappearing. I mean, loads of people are working from home, but I'm going to try and fight back against this war on cake. I'm going to get an office job where you work from home and I'm going to deliver everyone a cake. <laughs> now it's time for our Please Go Home news. Speaking of, this follows very nicely on from our previous story. This is the news that a small IT company in the central Indian city of Indore has come up with a way of sending its employees home through technology. Basically, it shuts down the computer and tells them to f*** off. Vittorio, you've told some people to f*** off. Can you unpack this story for us? Well, basically, yeah, it's this software where when your working day finishes, when you've done your allocated hours that you're paid to do, um, it basically flashes up a little message on on the screen and it, and it says, you've worked as much as you were planning to work today. And it kind of just shuts off your computer in the middle of whatever you're doing. Um, oh, wait, it's 1040. Very nice. I hope he fully commits to that joke and just doesn't come back. Uh, for those of you know, who are not present in this uh, Zoom call on which we're recording the podcast, Vittorio Angeloni has just f***ed off. <laughs> and hopefully he returns with cake. If he doesn't bring cake, I'll be furious. James, uh, do you think this would make you more or less productive, having a ticking time bomb on your work clock? I honestly feel it would make me uh, more productive. Um such because... a good joke. Oh, We've been back. laughing without pause since you left. <laughs> so good. So good. 
<laughs> I love someone who commits to a bit, particularly a bit that will not translate to audio. Yeah, no, not at all. Yeah. You'll have to put in a sound effect of me kikong or something. <laughs> we'll just get the audio of Brendan Gleeson going. Oh, he's coming back. He's coming back, guys. I mean, also, I mean, pretending that uh, Irish accents are incomprehensible in modern filmmaking when literally 100% of all actors are incomprehensible in modern filmmaking because mm. of the weird muddy soundscapes that are engineered now to feel like immersive as though your life were the life of a 75 year old man who's losing his hearing but can't admit it that's that's like that's how I like to imagine films when I watch them now yeah and also like 25% of the acting nominations were Irish actors so it's like, well, they're getting something across for f- sake. It's like, it's just so ridiculous. It's such a ridiculous thing to say. It's wild. If you knew that your clock was ticking down to the end of the day, would you find yourself more or less productive? And do you think this is a good thing overall that they're not letting you work late? I think it's a good thing because I think it like depends on the job. But I think what they're trying to address that deeper issue of like the social conditioning and the burnout because that's sort of where this all comes from is they're like worried about people burning out um it's it's pretty amazing like to just have your job oh don't worry about finishing the job just go home because i think a lot of us have worked in environments where it's like you stay until the job's done and you'll get a pat on the back and that's kind of how we're conditioned i mean especially in the arts because that what's the timer on this thing is like 50 50 hours or 50 hours or 45. Like it's it's something where if you work in the arts, you're like, that's it. And then you don't have to work anymore for the rest of the week if you've done that many hours. That's yeah. insane. Well, this is the other thing, like I- I- effectiveness and then like culture. So th- there is a level of productivity that you just can't achieve from slogging away at it. And you need to like take a break and leave. But if you have an office culture where you need to be seen eating cake, for example, uh, you never leave, even if you're not being particularly productive. So I think the hope here is also that they don't burn people out and then lose useful employees. You always have to to acknowledge that they're not ever acting out of the goodness of their heart. Um, Vittorio? I guess it's the same argument for like the four-day work week where if you actually condense it down, and there's so many people who get their days worked on in about two hours and their boss just tells them to look busy for the rest of it um but yeah it's this argument that yeah if you do condense and if you put a little bit more of a stretch on it especially when people are working from home and like it just can extend into like well well, i'll just have slightly later dinner i'll just wait until that happens i'll do this and then oh, i'll just get this little bit done and it is like if you put a hard and it's something that like look we're all like freelancers doing our own thing you have to set these like otherwise it's just endless you're just always like oh i can reply to that email now i can do this now i can do whatever so you do just need to like draw a line in the sand. And if there's a little, like, I, I hope it's still the Microsoft paperclip guy who pops <laughs> up and goes, Hey, <laughs> Hey, we're not paying you now. Piss off you bastard. Yeah, it looks like you're participating in a toxic office culture. <laughs> yeah. Would you like to order cake? <laughs> <laughs> That brings us to the end of the show. I'm flipping through the ad section at the back. James, have you got anything to plug? I'm going to the Melbourne Comedy Festival, uh, which uh, is only my second ever time. So I'm looking forward to doing that. And I'll be at Campari House at uh, a time that can be found on the Melbourne Comedy Festival's uh, website. And my rugby podcast uh, continues called uh, Fair Game Pacific Rugby Against the World. So you can check that out wherever you find podcasts. 
It's a great podcast, Fair Game Pacific Rugby Against the World. It's sort of like investigative journalism. I feel like you maybe maybe missed your calling as an investigative journalist, uncovering the dark underbelly of the the scrum. She says, I've, remembering rugby. Having, having been bullied at high school and spending my time at the bottom of many a ruck, uh, I feel this is justice coming full circle. And Vittorio, have you got anything to plug? Uh, first of all, I just want to say that's such a funny way to insult a comedian. To be like, it's going to let it slide. It's absolutely going to let it slide. You missed your no, calling as no, an like, investigator. How bad were my jokes this episode? No, Jesus. the question is how like, good she's a is dear your investigative journalist? We've known each other for years. She was at my wedding. She's very tired. I'm sure she didn't mean to tell me to quit my career in comedy at the no. end of her show. I'm sure that's what. No. No, it's not what I was saying at all. I mean, you're such a good comedian, but I really enjoy your investigative journalism as well. Thank you, Alice. I took it in the spirit it was intended. <laughs> this will be my last show at the Melbourne Comedy Festival. Yeah. So please... <laughs> it's the farewell tour. <laughs> I have two things to plug. I, I'm going on tour uh, starting next month around the UK and Ireland. Got a big show in London at the Leicester Square Theatre and then loads all around the country. So I'm sure there's one nearby where you are. And I also have a podcast uh, with my, I do it with my friend Mike. It's called Mike and Vittorio's Guide to Parenting. Neither of us have kids. Uh, we are trying to attract an audience of young mums. So I hope you'll come and join <laughs> us. <laughs> you can find me online at uh, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. It's a one-stop shop full of my stand-up specials, podcasts, blogs, my weekly tea with Alice salons, and my weekly writers' meetings and workshops if you want to write with me. Uh, patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. I'm also doing my show Twist at the Newcastle Fringe Festival on uh, Thursday and Friday of this week. Then I'll be in Melbourne, then Tokyo, then London, then Edinburgh. Um, find that all at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. This is a Bugle podcast and Alice Fraser production. Your editor is Ped Hunter. Your executive producer is Chris Skinner. I'll talk to you again next week. You can listen to other programs from The Bugle, including The Bugle, Catharsis, Tiny Revolutions, Top Stories and The Gargle, wherever you find your podcasts. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Support comes from ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. You've heard the hype around AI. The truth is, AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. ServiceNow is the platform that puts AI to work for people across your business. Removing friction and frustration for your employees. Supercharging productivity for your developers. Providing intelligent tools for your service agents to make customers happier. All built into a single platform you can use right now. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Visit servicenow.com slash AI for people to learn more.